everybody. My name is Paul Heron. And I'm Paul Summers. And you are listening to your classical coffee break. Well, Mr. Summers, you are wearing me down about <laughs> opera. I was a staunch, not hater, because I've listened to a lot of the overtures, which are extraordinary. Yeah. And I could listen to overtures all day, I think. Uh, but the opera itself has always been somewhat otherworldly to me that I have not connected with. Yeah. But you've you've been able to show me some examples, and I've been able to uh, open my perspective a little. One thing we mentioned uh, last time briefly is uh, Rene Fleming. Yeah. Uh, who, as a an opera singer, has gone mainstream in some ways, and I think that helps to, to change the image of opera, that it's not thus and them, that it is mm-hmm. us that we can listen because she's done a lot of more popular music uh, and she's been in the mainstream, but she always, I believe, stays pretty true to her opera roots. No, oh, no question about it. Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the shows I've seen uh, that she's done um, talking about English language operas was A Streetcar Named Desire, which I've never, I would love to see. That would be interesting to me to see. Okay. Because I know the, the movie well enough and I know the play. Yeah. And uh, to see uh, someone of her stature in that would be really intriguing. I don't know if that that's that's fairly new, and I don't know if it would be online yet, but it might be. One could try. Yeah. Well, I'll take a look. Yeah. All um, right. So there were a couple of other things that well, I had uh, issues with. Uh, sometimes the the acting tends to be a little histrionic, but you had mentioned the last time uh, we talked that might be changing. It's a different age. Yeah, it is. Uh, but I do also then want to th- think about some things, and that is that the, the actual size of, uh, how shall I put it, the perspective that the, that the audience will have. For instance, uh, when you consider uh, the, dis- the, the difference between film acting and stage acting. Wow, that's two different worlds. Exactly, yeah. because film can come in tight and, and just one eyebrow movement can be telling. Mm-hmm. And you could do that same eyebrow, mo- eyebrow movement on stage and the, the people in the first 10 rows will see it. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, you yeah. see, exactly, you see. And then if you're sitting way off to the audience left or way off the right, you, you know, who, so who knows? Right. So that means you have to be a little bit bigger when you're on stage than right. if you were doing film. right. Okay, now the same thing happens, however, when you get to opera, which usually happens in a big house, often much larger than a stage acting house. Sometimes they might be the same if it's a small opera company. Mm -hmm. But when you're in a big house, you know, in San Francisco or in L.A. or Chicago or in New York, and you're, what you're doing to project the part other than singing, but what you're doing physically, you have to hit the back wall with that too. Right. And so that's why if you see it up close, you think, oh, God, that's overdone. But if you're in the back row, right, it isn't. <laughs> and the stage is so large that you sort of want to move through a good portion of it just to let everybody see you. Yeah. So you you really do have to change how you act and how you perform depending on the size of the stage and yeah. you know um, 
So, yes, I understand that. I guess um, – and the heightened emotions too sort of lend – to that histrionic exactly. behavior. And the too. length of time. So sometimes somebody has to do something that either goes slow with it, then slower with a gesture because the music right. is taking more. Or, that, right. or you have to do it several times, right. maybe. Right. So there are a number the of things. The music has to be accommodated. Right. Yes. And uh, so, so that's part of it as well. Um, but then again, it, there are there's much more of an attention in really good productions now to having. Uh, to having good acting. Part of it is, I think, that everybody knows nowadays that if you're doing an opera in one of the big houses anyway, anywhere in Europe or any, it's being filmed. Well, that is true, yeah. So you have to, to a certain degree, nowadays, bring the film acting into your opera house acting. Mm-hmm. Which makes it very different from mm. back in the uh, old gigantic gesture yeah. days when yeah. you know. Uh, so even the audience there can see the the live version on the screen. Is what you're saying too? Well, so that eye that eye movement might be might carry now to the to mid house. I'm not sure that they'd have it on a monitor. I've well, well okay. Well, do you think they would? They might. It's possible. Well, maybe not. Maybe not, but then, but but then, if you want to see that, I just that little eye movement with the eyebrow, you're going to go out and look at the film later anyway. Right. So you know, anyway, it's so, it's, so it's the a stories were always you know since I didn't know the language, the stories were sometimes confusing. But I think now we've we've talked too about how they. It depends, I guess. Is yeah, nowadays you're probably if you're at any decent production, you're going to see the you're going to see the words projected. You're going to know what they are. Right. You're going to follow the story. Right. On the other hand, uh, way back before those days, and, and my son was uh, maybe eleven or twelve, something like that. Uh, I we I I told him we're going to you and I are going to go see Tosca. Mm-hmm. And I knew Tosca is a straight-ahead story, no, nothing confusing in it. You know who the guy, good guy is. You know who the bad guy is. And and it's going to go to a, no little side plots, nothing like that in this in this opera. And and so uh, I also knew that this place was not going to have supertitles. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know how to read. And I gave him, I gave him an opera book that had. That had a, a, a synopsis of the story. Oh, interesting! Yeah. And so he read the synopsis. He learned what the story was. Yeah. And he figured out who the three main characters were in a heartbeat, because that's about all it takes to get the three main characters of Tosca. <laughs> and then we went, and he looked at it like he was watching TV, and he didn't understand <laughs> a word of it. <laughs> interesting. But he knew the story, right? Because I made sure he knew the story, right? And he and heard then, the music. And then the music, you yeah. know, was the was the music, and and uh, Puccini knows how to write some tunes. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> you is, know? that is true. And also how to accompany tense scenes. Oh, there's some really tense scenes in that opera, yeah. and boy, does he make them come alive musically too. Yeah. So anyway, so the, the the whole acting style thing is 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 very different, I yeah. think, and uh, and yep. and the kind of plots too, you yeah. know. For understanding, sometimes a plot that's a little more uh, like episode, episode, episode mm-hmm. might be a little more difficult to, to put together a plot if you don't knew it, know it. In which case, it really is useful. There are plenty to, to read a synopsis before you go to it. Right, right. That's all. Right. Know. No, I agree. You know. So uh, 
before we get into my last topic. Yeah. You want what? to talk about Encoder? Yeah, why don't you do that? Okay, sure. Well, uh, Classical Coffee Break is brought to you by Encoda, which is an app for musicians that offers a library of digital sheet music on subscription, uh, like Spotify or Netflix or any other streaming service nowadays. Users can access their favorite works from the complete sales and hire a rental catalogs of almost 100 leading music publishers, totaling over 110,000 titles. You can curate personal playlists to practice and perform from. Upload your own scores and share your markings with other users. So find Encoda, N-K-O-D-A, on your app store today. That's N-K-O-D-A. Thank you, Paul, and thank you, Encoda. Yes. One of the last issues I think we were going to talk about uh, in my my list that I nailed on on your door one (laughs) one evening— was sometimes the underlying music is isn't as powerful or does it since it's underscoring action it's kind of like a soundtrack music which is not generally uh, enthralling it could be interesting but you know yeah well of course that is its job its job is to support the singing is to uh, is to give an emotional uh, shot in the arm to what the words are, but still, eh, the singers, what what it's about in some operas. So l- listen to this. I'm going to do a very famous soprano aria called Casta Diva. It's from Norma, an opera by uh, by Vincenzo Bellini, uh, and uh, it's extraordinarily famous. And uh, you can listen to how that goes. Listen to how the music sets the scene. I. Uh, uh, it, it, Casa Diva just mean, means uh, chaste, divine one. Uh, and chaste as in uh, chastity kind mm-hmm. of chaste. And, and uh, so see if you, just from the music before she sings a note, can, uh, can catch what this, the setting for this scene. Now. Now, as this is playing, the singer is visible and is reacting to the setting. Mm. What do you think? Just, just take a guess. It doesn't matter. I mean, what what is he doing? Or it's a she actually. She? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, where is this taking place? Uh, what do you think? Almost sounded like a garden to me. Okay, I think you're right. You're right on the sort of wandering in a garden. Yeah. Thing. Okay. Pondering and wandering. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you what it is. It's actually even in the forest. Ah, okay. Or a forest clearing. Okay. Because the chaste divine one that she's singing to is the moon. Ah. And we know from watching in costume... And because we've read the story, <laughs> that 
she is a druid priestess. So she's singing this. Now see, the music is just, a, she's singing to the moon. Mm. Now see, the, the setup music was lovely and helped set the scene. Now it continues while we hear her mm. sing. Mm. Well, that's its purpose. So it's not, the music itself is not going to be distinguished in some dramatic way like Beethoven might do in a symphony. Mm. But if you take that out and just played chords or something, like a guitar going strum, strum, mm. it would be stupid, you see. So the music continues to give you the setting. Who is that singing? Who's that singing? Oh, that's Joan Sutherland. Uh-huh. <laughs> that so, helps. Yeah, that helps in itself, yes. It does indeed. But, of course, she's one of the greatest uh, Normas ever, so... Uh, mm-hmm. So you see... And then the chorus comes in, too, then. So you see, the setting behind it has to go in. Here, it should be important. Mm-hmm. But while she's singing, she's important. Yes, right. I agree. Now, I also wanted to show how that changed a bit, and yet it, by the same token, didn't change. By playing a piece, playing the, the, the very end of the, of the ring cycle. Not the very end, because that's without singing, but, uh, but the last sung stuff from the ring cycle. And, and that's because it's also for soprano. It's very busy, but Wagner has the orchestra being a little bit more interesting and, and, and having material to play that's more dramatic. But another reason, however, is that I wanted to take it because, uh, to choose that, because Wagner loved to conduct Norma. And many times he'd say, oh, a lot of what I'm doing is based on what Bellini does in Norma. And you think, what? And yet what he means is the importance of the voice, the importance of the orchestra, the kind of voice that I want to sing Brunhilde is this actually a voice that can, that can sing Norma. Now, that isn't what we have nowadays. People who sing Norma, like Sutherland, certainly mm-hmm. don't sing Brunhilde. But he had the purity of line. He had the balance between voice and orchestra in mind when he wrote. So anyway, let's listen to some of the, uh, of the end of, um, of the, the Goethe Demerung, which is the last, the Twilight of the Gods, the last opera in the ring cycle. Much larger orchestra than you're going to have for for Bellini too. This is in English for you, by the yeah, way. Thank you. <laughs> and you're flashing me the the trans or the words too. That's right. A, yeah, right. So I understand English. Mm-hmm. 
Now, see here, the orchestra is at all just some simple little background. This is a very symphonic orchestral mm-hmm. sound. Who is the singer? Do you know? Yes, it's a, it's a British soprano who I actually saw sing this same role in German, named Rita Hunter. Mm-hmm. I saw her sing this at the Met. Mm-hmm. Auf Deutsch. Oh. see that music there depicts fire well everything's going to catch on fire Hmm. see so the music is setting up again the setting yes right it's really well written too well (laughs) Spider kind of knew what he was doing yeah yeah. (laughs) there you go that's the Valkyrie music. Yeah. You know, yeah. Vocal uh, artistry is really extraordinary. Oh, it is. It has to be, yeah. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that's self-selecting. Hmm. You know, it's the kind of thing you only do if you can do. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. The Olympics. I'll let it go a little bit longer, but then we... This goes on for quite a bit longer and we will well I'll let it go for a little bit a little bit more this point she rides into the fire yeah. on her horse but now now from here on except for one brief thing where the, the bad guy yells out away from the ring and then he's carried into the flood but see and and then here's the rest of the uh opera going off this beautiful tune and now there's no more singing hmm. simply as that well but in any hey, case that so that's a it's a just a um my point being that there are times when uh there are when the music really does 
be equal with what the singer's doing, as mm. it were. You see. So I went on the website to see uh, five operas for people who hate opera. Oh, okay. And uh, they gave a listing of five operas that are well-known, and okay. you tell me if you think these are good entrees for opera. Okay. Some of the music I'm already familiar with. Uh, I think I'm familiar with all of the show, uh, the operas, but I don't, I've never watched them in total. The first one I, they mentioned was the Magic Flute as being accessible. Yeah, but the big mistake is people think that the Magic Flute's accessible to children because there are two scenes in it which have people, uh, which have actors making believe being animals. Okay. But it's actually a very serious Masonic opera. Well, they did mention that, that yeah. they said that you could hear, you could appreciate it on many levels. Well, yeah, but the kids will really get itchy except, and maybe for the whole thing. Okay. I would, I think it's a great first opera for an adult. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, go on. Um, I, I, let's see if it hits the one I think really is the the best one. The Barber of Seville. That's very funny. It, it's it's not going to be anything like realism at all. It's it's a comic opera. It's probably the funniest opera I've ever seen, mm. if it's directed well. And Carmen. The music is very familiar. It's a long opera. Okay. Oh, it's uh, let let me just see. I I have Carmen on my computer. Let me just see how long Carmen lasts. Um, I, I can tell that. Of course, it'll tell me. Uh, let me let me get there. But I I think it's I think that's going to be a, a a pretty. Here we go. Well, it says here, and that's without intermission. It is two and a half hours. Okay, so you figure almost. Three, well, two and a half. Yeah, but with okay. the intermissions, it'll probably be you'll you'll be in the theater for uh, for well over three hours. Okay, because intermissions for opera are often much longer than say for a stage play because those singers have got to rest their voices and okay. to, you know it takes a little bit more time. Ah. So La Traviata, anyway, that's a very nice first opera. You'll you'll get the plot. It doesn't have any real side. As soon as you understand a couple things about it, the uh, and any any decent program notes in the program will sort that out. But and, it's a beautiful opera. And this website was talking about how this the plot was stolen by uh, Baz Luhrmann for the movie Moulin Rouge. Yeah, I believe now so. Now the play Moulin Rouge. Yeah, so, I think so. So it's very similar. And the last one they mentioned, can you guess? Became a successful Broadway play 20 years ago, La Boheme. Oh, La Boheme with Rent. With Rent, mean. yes. Yeah, but the thing is, it's actually rather weak on story. And my biggest problem that I have with Puccini happens in that opera, and it's, of course, his opera, and it is that all the really great confrontation scenes, uh, except of, except in uh, Tosca, uh, he, he likes to ignore them. There's some scenes where I want to see, uh, for instance, in Madame Butterfly, the scene I want to see is Pinkerton at home in, in Pearl Harbor, telling his wife about this Japanese wife he's got. Yeah. No. See, he doesn't touch that. But so but only because they were they were assuming they would know the, the play Rent or the musical Rent and oh, then they could well, they latch into that. But that I, way. I already actually mentioned the opera that I think is the best first opera. Okay. And that was Tosca. Okay. And it's because you cannot miss the story. It has in great scenes. It has in great characters, well-defined, spectacle. My God, the, in the, the end of Act One is the bad guy downstage raging while there's a 
papal procession going on upstage mm. behind him in the cathedral. I mean, man, talk <laughs> about theater, you know. Uh, anyway, it's uh, it's a great opera, and it has no side issues. It requires great singing. It requires good acting, and it's a straightforward story, and it's only about two hours long. Mr. Summers has spoken. Everyone go out and see Tosca. Mr. Summers says go see Tosca. All right, two thumbs up for Tosca. Well, okay, you've broken me down somewhat, and uh, uh, you've you've given me some workarounds with uh, YouTube. Oh, I think that's uh, actually – that's my favorite workaround. (laughs) I live very rurally. I don't live near any big opera company. Well, I live about an hour from Philly. Philly. But uh, and I've I've stumbled onto opera in the park there, and it's always been an enjoyable thing. I'm sure, yeah. But I had a bottle of wine with me. Oh, there you so, go. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much, Mr. Summers, okay. for for we'll, this we'll opera see. experience. Absolutely. We'll bye bye. Your classical coffee break is brought to you by Morris River Press, award-winning elite publishers of the music of Robert Russell Bennett, Philip Dietrich, and Paul Summers. You can find our catalog at morrisriverpress.com and Theater Presser Company at presser.com. Production for this program is partially sponsored by CAS Music Productions, casmusic.com, providing music recording and production around the world, engineers Chris Sarazi and Nathan Terry.